Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodeutchen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Dr. Wu is the Taiwanese-American tattoo artist known for a unique single-needle style that has made him one of the most influential practitioners of his craft in the world. Born and raised in Los Angeles, he began his career tattooing in Mark Mahoney's Shamrock Social Club opposite Johnny Depp's Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard and eventually becoming one of the most in-demand tattoo artists in LA. His intricate single-needle tattoos have resulted in an infamously long waiting list and a celebrity clientele featuring the likes of Justin Bieber, Zoe Kravitz and Drake. He came on the show to talk about the LA scene that nurtured him, the cultural meaning of tattoos today, and what he put into the Dr. Wu cabinet of curiosities at Five Carlos Place. So how are you doing, Wu? I'm doing all right. Another day here in the unpredictable weather of California. Not as much as Texas right now, but, you know, it's, it's a, it's, at least it's sunny today. How's the homeschooling going? <laughs> it's so tough. I mean, I feel like when I was in school, I was horrible at it. And now that I have to kind of take a time machine back to the the same lessons because I have to kind of stay next to my kids and make sure they're on on task and everything it's so hard and it's hard it's so hard to be patient with them and then kind of remember that hey if this was me I'd also be just like jumping off the walls and hard to focus you know you grew up in Los Angeles just north of Malibu um yeah I was born in North Hollywood and then after like third grade, um, probably like the second part of elementary school, my my parents moved up to Agora Hills, which is a little past Calabasas. And your parents emigrated from Taiwan, so you were a first generation kid. First born here, yep. Can you give me a bit of a flavor of what your childhood was like and how it may have led to what you do today? Um. Yeah, I, you know, from what I remember, my parents both worked really hard and I was always dropped off before school started for the pre-daycare and then um, was like last to be picked up after school in the after daycare. So I just remember growing up was always in some kind of school or, or yard, um, kind of alone, you know, I, I was a little bit shy and... Um, kind of a kind of an outcast so I think from there you know I I really just grew up on kind of the comic books and the cartoons and and what I saw on tv that was like my link to the culture of um you know this country as my parents were always working and I think from that beginning you know it kind of really led me to have this creative mind to kind of create this world for myself where I felt comfortable and and connected Um, and I think you know both my parents 
even though their jobs seem a little more less creative and disciplined, um, I think they are very creative people. They just never had a chance to kind of, you know, let loose. My father's actually a, a rocket scientist. And even seeing the stuff and the graphs and, and the blueprints and all these kind of things that he draws up there, they're quite innovative and quite cool. So I know it's, you know, he has something deep in there or maybe not even that deep. He has something in there that that um, I feel subconsciously has has come out of me as well. So you're really a product of Los Angeles. How has being from L.A. defined your career, do you think? Um, I mean, I think a direct surface link to that would be in tattooing. The style that I tattoo in is quintessentially the Southern Californian L.A. tattoo style. Um, the fine line black and gray tattoo scene was birthed, you know, out here. And, you know, we're kind of at uh, ground zero for um, that kind of tattoo style. So if, in that sense, for what I do, that is like a direct link. Um, but other stuff, otherwise, I mean, you know, I grew up listening to indie and punk rock music, going to shows, skateboarding. You know, it, it was it was very much the the Californian, you know, under the palm tree, going to the beach, you know, after school kind of thing. Um, and L.A. was so diverse. You know, there's so many different communities here and being able to be integrated from birth and not feeling, you know, there was touches of different racial aspects. But for the most part, I, I was very much exposed to so many different cultures growing up um, being out here. So we, I feel like L.A. is also a very worldly place. It's even LAX is like the main touch point for anyone kind of coming to the States or, you know, as a launch pad to other other um, places to fly out from. Yeah, just not right now. <laughs> uh, just not right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you had a mentor in Mark Mahoney, who's a bit of a legend in the tattoo world. Um, yes. I believe yes, he... he inked. Yeah, you tell me about him. Yeah, Mark Mark is, um, I think he is, you know, for tattooing and, and the mix of, uh, you know, entertainment, art and fashion, you know, he was kind of the main guy. He really romanticized the idea of, you know, getting a tattoo and it wasn't just, you know, a, a criminal or a biker or that kind of subculture, which was also there. There was also like this high elite kind of bourgeois uh, chicness to it as well. And he kind of blended the two worlds very beautifully, which was so cool. And he was very cool. His style, the way he talked, um, definitely a legend in the tattoo world and definitely a legend in Los Angeles. So growing up, you know, he was kind of, you know, a hero to look up to, not even in the tattoo sense, just as like a if you want to emulate cool, this is a great, uh, you know, role model to look up to, to kind of, to, to, to have like a guide to. And all my friends were getting tattooed at his shop from an early age. And then I was actually getting tattooed by him for probably um, almost like five to 10 years before I actually even started working for him. Um, and, you know, being around him and 
and his shop it was such a cool place and such a legendary place i i picked up a lot of um creative starts i think from inspirations being around him and, and the shamrock yeah he, he's sort of famous for for people who don't know for inking the likes of keith richards and tupac yeah. and johnny depp correct me if i'm wrong but um yep every everyone and, and the place that and his place is called the shamrock social club on sunset boulevard yep and do you, do, right. you do you remember what the first time you met yeah yeah my we were young i think i wasn't even old enough to get tattooed and uh these older guys i was hanging out with were getting tattooed by him so we go down to sunset this was before he opened his own shop there's a shop called tattoo mania across from the viper room you know the infamous viper room oh yeah and um it was just a wild scene i mean back then sunset strip right in between the whiskey viper room the roxy you know all the the rock bands were out the music scene was alive um and you know you can just start seeing all the different riffraff and nightlife coming out it was awesome wow and so how did he help shape your career because you he, you sort of became his apprentice yeah luckily you know after so many years of working or being his client um he he eventually asked me to to apprentice for him and it was it was definitely at the time not something that I thought I would do. You know, I, I was getting tattooed all the time as a kid. And Mark, you know, even back then, Mark had like this huge waiting list. And uh, between me and my friends, we'd always get in. And we built a relationship. You know, we were kind of these, you know, at the time, we kind of dressed like little rockabilly dudes. And we we're getting tattoos and driving uh, old cars around. And it was all kind of you know, influenced by Mark. So after all these years I was getting, then he moved to the, his, his own shop called the Shamrock Social Club. And I was hanging out there. And one day he asked, Hey, you know, do you want to learn how to tattoo? And I, I was like, so taken off guard at the time I was doing, you know, I was working at this, uh, high end boutique, um, as an assistant buyer, you know, for denim and kind of, you know, kind of more of this, uh, fashion elevation from like skateboarder to starting to dress a little bit um more in the luxury uh brand base and i was super into that starting a clothing line um doing graphic design all that uh but i never thought about being a tattoo artist because i was just you know mark and his world was so unique and so cool i never thought that i could step into that i just didn't come from that world so um, the tattoo community and the culture at the time was so close knit. Like there was no, it wasn't like today where you can YouTube a video on, you know, how to do a cool tattoo. You have a million tattoo references on Instagram to look at, to kind of, you know, copy and emulate the styles. Back then there was nothing. There was just, if you wanted to be in the tattoo world, you had to know a tattoo artist and you had to know a reputable shop because, no one that worked at, on their own in the studio, unless they were like really highly regarded and been in the game for a long time, no one really worked in their own private studio. That meant you, you know, you kind of weren't good enough to be in a shop, or you were you weren't really part of the community. So, with that in mind, I never thought I'd ever be in that world. And Mark reached out to me, and 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 at that moment, I was like, wow, yes, you know, if I was a 
if I didn't want to be a doctor, but I got a scholarship to Harvard medical school or something like that, I, I'd probably be like, okay, I'll take this. It's, it's like, uh, <laughs> such a unique opportunity, unique opportunity that I would never thought would come this way. And so I quit my job the next day and, and then just showed up to, to Shamrock and, you know, started my, my, my adventure as a, a apprentice or a helper, as we called it. <laughs> a helper. And where, helper. Why, where did the name Dr. Wu come from? So, you know, being in that shop, there's so many like cool little quirks of all these kind of you know, rituals and, and, um, things that get passed down and every tattooer in that shop had a nickname. So I, I feel like having a nickname is kind of your right, is part of the rites of passage into, you know, becoming a tattooer there. And Dr. Wu was just this nickname that all the, these old timers that were in there used to call me and all these uh, regulars that used to hang out in the shop, they called me the doctor, you know, <laughs> like Dr. Wu. I think there's a couple iterations. One was, so, there was one client that said it was it, it was a character from an old like horror movie from like the 30s and it was like some the laboratory of dr Wu, something like that <laughs> um which i came to find out it was like you know the island of dr lee or something it wasn't even <laughs> dr Wu. it was just kind of like this correlation of being asian with an asian guy and lee Wu. you know they all kind of sounded the same i guess um and then I th and then I think as my career kind of grew and the work I was doing was so specific, a lot of people just associated, you know, doctor with kind of like the steady hand and the technical aspect of how I did my my work. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that the, the real reason is just it was a cool nickname that I needed to get my start at the shop. But there was one, you know, early on from the from the old guys it's kind of like you know your parents came here and they really wanted you to be a lawyer or a doctor and and now you are a doctor <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, just not in the way that they thought <laughs> um that makes sense yeah you got yourself to the forefront of the so-called black and gray movement in tattooing and um your usp sort of became this ability to replicate these really beautiful, intricate designs um, from books and digital images. And um, I was interested to know if there are any specific references. I mean, were there any specific books you were looking at or websites? Um, where where do you go to? Yeah, you know, the style was, it was something that's been around for a long time. And obviously, I, I learned it from Mark Mahoney. He was actually one of the, you know, one of the four guys in the in the early 80s that really championed this style and and gave it a its own kind of universe and then like you said from these drawings i kind of took the technique and maybe just changed the content a little bit to something that was a little bit untraditional and unexpected for tattoos and the size and the um composition was a little more different but the books you know it, this is funny because when i started there there was no Google images or any kind of reference. We had like a bookshelf that had two two levels and there was just a row of books. Like one could be a book about birds and there was just like 50 different birds in there. One had mermaids and one had, you know, there was a, 
these etchings by Gustave Doré that were super cool. Um, the, perfect for replicating the single needle style because the line work was so thin. Uh, they were kind of like wood woodcut engravings and lithographs. So those were a lot of images that, that I used from. And it was funny because if you came in and said, hey, I want a, I want a butterfly. You know, we had a book with five butterflies. So chances are you're going to get one of these five. And then we brought <laughs> up whatever. Now it's like, I want a butterfly. You go on Google Images. The world is, you know, at your fingertips, which is so cool too. But there was also, I love that idea of like how art progresses in just a simple thing like that, you know? Um, but there's, you know, for me, I love the, I love the old uh, clip art books, you know, with old Art Deco designs, old uh, adverts from the 30s, um, you know, the old uh, little drawings in the Sears catalogs, or obviously I love the botanical, old kind of botanical drawings and science paintings. Those are always super cool. And when people I come to you with a class design. Of timeless things. Right. And, and are people looking for, for you to directly replicate those old school images or are they looking for, a, for you to put your put an original or different spin on it? Um, both. You know, some people they want if it's an image that's very true and dear to their heart, you know, um, I think a big skill in itself is replicating it perfectly and, and making it adapt to skin and, and translate to the skin well. Um, also, some people do, you know, I like this. It doesn't have to be exactly that. So if you want to turn a leaf a certain way or if you want to shade it differently to make it look better on skin, then by all means. And um, some people do want your distinct kind of, uh, um, you know, the twist, the design work that I do, you know. So it's really, there is no common thing. Everyone wants something different. And I think that's the beauty about, you know, being able to work with people on making tattoos for them. And are there, are there trends? Do you notice, I mean, that in the way that, you know, there is in fashion, you know, you notice that everyone wears a certain shape of boot for a while. Um, oh, yeah. Trend, trends are, <laughs> trends like dictate the tattoo world. It's crazy. There's, but isn't that weird for something that you're going to have that's going to last forever? Yeah. No, it is. But you know, it's funny. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of like the same way if you go back into your closet and you see this old coat from, you know, spring, summer, oh, five, right? And you're like, oh, this thing is actually really cool. And you can bring it out again. It's not so new that it's kind of so new and old where it's like, oh, you know, this is not the right time to wear it. But it's now it's old enough to be cool again. I think that's the same as with tattoos, except they're not on your closet. They're just on your arm. And then the time comes back. But it's crazy. Like, you know, there's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many different trends in different ways. What's, and, a, what, what's a trend that, you've, that you noticed from like, you know, 2019 or presumably not much happened in 2020? Um, but You know, what comes through my door a lot is like, you know, the mini pet faces and um the the sparkly kind of um jewelry accessory like dangly bits in different parts of your fingers and your wrists and your arm um you know i, I mean it's it's so it's it's so different like sometimes you'd yeah. see the ones where it's like under 
the sternum. They'll, they'll, they'll do hanging bits under the sternum, stuff like that. Um, it's so fascinating. It's, 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 yeah, it changes daily. I mean, like now, you know, with the young kids that are super edgy and into, you know, certain different things, a lot of the face tattoos are popular now. Right. A lot of... The one thing that does seem to happen is like, with each trend cycle, the taboo of having a tattoo is washed off a bit. It's not as dangerous and, you know, unspoken as it used to be. I tattoo a lot of moms and grandmas now and, and people that, you know, wear suits for a living. Um, it's not as, uh, as, as hidden and as um, kind of, ta- yeah, taboo, I guess, is, is the word. So what do you think? Because, I mean, tattoos did at one point, not that long ago, represent a sort of, you, you know, rebellion or um, subversion. You know, you got it in prison or if you were like a pirate. or So what do they represent now, yep. do you think? Um, you know, there's still... I, th- I really think it's just the style and the, the kind of tattoos you get. You know, there's still a lot of tattoos you get that if you know or you see, you know what type you know, what they're saying and what they represent. Some are still, you know, criminal aspect. Um, some, you know, they do, I think they're pretty self-explanatory if you see them that, you know, that's not, this one isn't for, you know, like a beautiful aesthetic or anything. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of things, I feel people are finding different ways to express themselves as they get to know themselves and tattooing images that are symbolic to them or you know, concrete a feeling or uh, an event uh, is a way for them to either bond with that inc- that moment or that person or that thing. Um, and it brings a little bit uh, more uniqueness and a connection to it, I guess. You know, I have so many tattoos on me that I'll remember forever. Then maybe they're not the most artistically well done tattoo, but the memory of that moment is what's fond. Um, and then there's other tattoos that are very specific, you know, with a name, like my kids' names or the portrait of my grandfather, which is, you know, in, in memory of those have like a direct symbolic meaning that, um, you know, are very cut, cut and clear. Mm. And then I have other ones that I totally forgot I got until I looked at it. Like, <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. You know, who does your tattoos? Um, you know, when I was working at Shamrock, all my friends that worked there, uh, Mark did obviously a lot of mine before I even was a tattoo artist. Um, but now, you know, it's just, it's usually like just the guys that I kind of came up with at Shamrock. And do I don't you think, really get many new tattoos. Do you think that it's still seen as an act of subversion? I mean, do you still get like people who see themselves I mean, as a, a bad guys getting them or have they become too much <laughs> of a symbol? They're too mainstream these days. You know what? I will say, I'm sure. You know, everyone that was getting tattoos before is still getting tattoos in the, right. in the way they are. But I do feel maybe the the pool is a little bit more diluted, you know, because there are a lot of people that come and get tattoos to kind of look like these guys or emulate these guys as well, even though they aren't, you know? Yeah, exactly, um, right. It's become, an, it's become a style. It's become, like you said, a trend. It's There are trendy ways to look and there are um, tattoos that have maybe crossed over the from the subculture to the mainstream um so it's quite interesting i mean it's even you know the best example i can say is 
you know, the Russian criminal tattoos are super symbolic and, and for a long time they were kind of underground and if only, you know, prisoners and criminals in that world knew about it and they had their own language, their own code. And you can go to Urban Outfitters and they were selling books of these images and then kids are buying these books and then <laughs> taking them to their local tattoo shop and saying, oh, this image is cool. I want to get that tattooed. And it wasn't a problem. Because, you know, that's just what, what it was, even though that's tattoo men certain thing. And I'm pretty sure if that, you know, kid had it on his leg and he actually encountered these guys, they're not going to, they'll know that, you know, he's not part of this world and I'm sure he'll be fine. But it just goes to show that how those cultures cross so much now that once something, you know, spills over the line, like, how do you really, you know, how do you really control that? I'm sure if you got a tattoo with that was a very intentional design that misspoke that you know maybe it would you would have to have a conversation about it later on but for the most part i i think that all these worlds are kind of mixed now and it's really hard to distinguish one from the other right that's if super you, if interesting if you aren't looking closely do you yeah. think do you ever look at your kids and all your kids friends and think and wonder if whether they'll whether tattoos will still hold the same cachet for them when they are teenagers you know, I, I think it's like the same, you know, the generational flip. Uh, yeah. If you grew up, grew up with super liberal parents, sometimes you, you end up a little bit more conservative and vice versa. You know, I my parents are super conservative and I definitely am not. So my kids might, you know, they're around <laughs> tattoos all day. They're, they're in the tattoo studio since they were, you know, born. And when they go in there, there's nothing exciting about it to them i think they're just used to it that's just what dad's job is and you know at this moment i think kids you know they love their parents and they need their attention so when there's this thing that is dad's work that's taking him away all the time maybe there's not this affinity towards it then if it was something like wow this is something my parents don't want me delving in this is romantic to me now you know <laughs> yeah uh, because my parents and, definitely didn't want me to get tattoos. And that was something <laughs> that kind of fueled it a bit, I, I must admit. <laughs> and you've got a you know, famously very lengthy waiting list and um, uh, lots of uh, celebrity clients. I read that you tattooed like Justin Bieber and Drake and Zoe Kravitz, which led me to think you must have like superlative inter personal skills and public relations um what's the process what's the actual if, if someone comes to you and they're going to get a tattoo what's the pro well, how does the whole process go from like talking to you about it to actually having it is it a kind of how, how much involvement is there from each person is it do, do you get people who just rock up and then you do it straight away on the spot or how does it work yeah i mean it's grown differently um as i've gone further in my career obviously you know, when I got my start, I was in a street shop. So I would just literally be sitting there waiting for someone to come in. And, you know, you had to kind of be ready to get whatever they they wanted. Um, so you had to be Johnny on the spot there and learn to adapt. And if they wanted a color butterfly or if they wanted a, a fine line name, um, if they wanted a portrait of their, their pet, you know, all these things you had to learn to be able to do. So luckily, I was I was really quick to adapt in that sense um, and learn to be nimble uh, 
design wise. Um, now, you know, it's a little bit different. I, because my schedule is so tight and I do have limited time, um, my assistant will kind of, you know, get the idea, a rough idea of what the tattoo is going to be beforehand so we can plan the day and know what time, how much time we need per each thing. Um, and then, so usually when the client comes in, I already have an idea of what they want. You know, we do a quick talk about it and, and get it, uh, kind of hashed out, which I like to do. A lot of artists, they do the kind of consulting and, um, beforehand and then kind of have the, the design drawn up and all that. But for me, I, I really like being in the moment and being able to have the input with them right there instead of having to do so many back and forth edits. Um, so, you know, I'm now afforded a little bit more time where I can take it easier. And I really don't like to work on things that are so long, like anything past like three hours, I kind of, it starts to get a little bit hard for me these days. So I like to keep the, in my kind of, you know, style of what I do. And so usually it makes it easier. You know, the client comes in, we just talk about it there. I draw it there show them there, size it up there, and then we just do it right away. <laughs> On this podcast, I always ask the guests about to, to, to sort of talk about a couple of objects or abstract things that represent them, because we have this cabinet at Five Carlos Place, which is the Matches Fashion townhouse in London, which is yeah. sadly closed I've been at there. the moment. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, my, my, my son fell asleep on one of the, the display. I think there was like a... a bedroom on the bottom floor we were he was so jet lagged he just, they let him sleep in the bed <laughs> it's <a> very <laughs> he took a nice nap there there are some very cozy um sofas and rugs in there yep definitely um, so anyway there is a cabinet an actual cabinet in the attic of that space um and i, I always ask the guests to kind of yeah so kind of asking you what would go into the dr Wu cabinet of curiosities that would kind of represent you best and, you know, so I think that obviously the core of what I, I am and what I do is I am, I'm constantly, I'm okay to be constantly inspired by things. You know, I feel like a lot of creatives, um, you know, they want to come up with original ideas and concepts and, and kind of, you know, trailblaze. But for me, you know, being inspired by other things is such a big part of that. Um, so I probably, something that I've been loving lately is, um, this new book uh, that came out uh, on this this show at the Zwerner Gallery from my friend uh, Noah Davis. He's an incredible painter. Um, he passed away a bit a, a bit ago, but you know he, this was the first show since since his passing and of all his works, and it was a beautiful show. And it's a beautiful book, and you know being able to have all these paintings to look through and. You know, I'm obviously very inspired by his work. And that is something that I actually have in my shelf in my home right now. Um, so that would definitely be one because it always, it reminds me to to kind of stick true to, to my creative process and, and inspires me to kind of, you know, trust in what I make and what I do and, and really do it for myself. Um, and try to have like, speak on... St- you know, speak with my work a little bit more in depth and uh, challenge myself to be a little better in that sense. And I would also have um, probably 
one of my succulent cactus plants that I've, you know, over this time I've started really growing this little garden of succulents and, and cacti in my yard. And I like collecting rare ones. They just have this, you know, it's so cool to me that these things can just live for like hundreds of years and, you know, they surpass us and they're so beautiful, but they have, you know, this armored, you know, protective coating. They, they're so resilient, you know, they can withstand all different types of weather and they're, they're quite alien to look at. And, um, I've been, you know, gardening and taking care of these things. And, you know, for me, it's just a, a reminder to how complex and, uh, fascinating mother nature is around us. And, you know, I feel like we do get caught up daily with technology and, you know, the rat race of, you know, art, fashion, just, just pushing forward. But, you know, to connect with these living things that are not affected by any of that kind of stuff and to see how they still grow and they'll probably outlast us. It's still quite amazing. It is. Um, God, is that something you kind of discovered time for during this pandemic time when we're yeah, all spending more time definitely time. Definitely, definitely time to... Because before I was on the road so much, I never really had time to like just sit in my garden or around my house and kind of just sit there and, and, and tend to it. So being home, I was, I've been able to, you know, really have more time to to sit there and, you know, prune and clean and, and trim and kind of water and feed all these things. And, and really, you know, a lot of these things are really temperamental. So, you know, you have to be very careful with how, how you do it. So it's been very fun for me to to get to know the process. And and it's a bit of work, which is which is challenging and nice. So nice. Was there one more thing? I didn't know how many there I was supposed to do. <laughs> you, if you have another thing, I'd love to hear another thing. I think there's these cool little things my kids make at home that we kind of build together from all this uh, extra trash that we have from all these packages and cardboard. So we've just been making these cool things around the house. Like lockdown um, activities. Yeah. And, and these little objects that come from them that otherwise probably wouldn't exist. Uh, but it's always nice to see what your kids can create because, you know, they are literally part of us, but we cannot control them. And their mind is so unique and independent. And I'm sure you can relate as a parent, you kind of want to just exude all your knowledge and your, your trust into them. And, and you want them to, you know, freely think and, and in a way, you know, you know, I'm a controlling parent in a sense. But then to see these things that just are so alien to you from like, wow, I can't believe you came up with this. I would never have figured this out. That's something that's truly inspiring because it does show you that as much as they are you, they are their own people yeah. and you kind of got to you kind of got to let them loose. Yeah, it's like constantly amazed as me, too. Um, yeah. And I know and, and, and you and your kind of, you know, career and where it's headed, I know that you. Um, have been branching out into more li into a skincare line, for example. And how do you see yeah. the Doctor Wu lifestyle brand evolving? You know, obviously, um, a big part of you know my journey was as a creative and creating you know these little worlds for myself and the tattoo uh, sense. You know, I I really have made my mark, which is I'm truly grateful. But 
for me, I've always wanted to push myself more and more. And there's always a new um, horizon for me to try to get to. And the skincare and and create coming up with these creative entrepreneurial projects has always been, you know, uh, I was I've always been attracted to that and being able to not only creatively create something but also sustain it um, and also make a profit and and make a successful business. Um, that the business side to me of all this all this stuff is also very fascinating, and I, I do think there's an art to it as well. And learning to bridge the creative side of my mind with the logistics side is some is a challenge i've been trying to do it's very hard and i think it's a little bit cliche are you you both or are you more entrepreneur i'm creative no i'm a creative through and through but i but i am very i do recognize that there is this entrepreneurial itch and that you know we've been i've been kind of galvanizing my team and my 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 skills and trying to also incorporate that into it because it is something that I'm interested in and I do want to succeed at. Um, and it is a challenge for me. And I, I do feel if you're not feeling challenged anymore, then it, it's, you're kind of doggy paddling in the, in the pool. You know, I, I want to swim. I want to keep going. And as I grow, it's, it's awesome that there are these new challenges that I, I have. So I, I, I don't, I'm not saying too comfortable. But it is definitely hard, and I do think it's a cliche thing where it's kind of like you are either a creative mind or you're kind of this business mind. Um, for me, it's very true, and luckily I have an amazing team that are that's helping me through it, but it is my next kind of challenge to kind of grow these things. And, you know, a big part of it is to show that you, you don't have to be compartmentalized as a creative. There are so many aspects on which you can, you know branch out and and grow different arms to to reach um but like anything else like the tattooing it's i have to you know put in the time and the hours and um it's not something that's going to be handed to me you know well good luck with it thank you that was an episode of the collector's house a matches fashion podcast you can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website. And you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening. <laughs>